We hope you enjoy listening to this podcast of St. Louis on the Air, brought to you by University College at Washington University. With undergraduate and graduate programs, part-time, evening, and online. University College at Washington University, offering world-class education within reach. Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. Social scientists have been connecting the dots between health and overall well-being. That connection was documented here in an interdisciplinary project called For the Sake of All. It highlighted health disparities between people living in poor and in affluent zip codes and resulting negative gaps in educational attainment, poverty, and employment. That effort was led by Jason Purnell of Washington University and has morphed into a new project called Health Equity Works, which he directs. Jason Purnell joins me in studio along with Sharonica Hardin-Bartley, superintendent of the University City School District. Monica Kinchelow is a senior director of Strategic Initiative and Partnerships for America's Promise Alliance. That's a national organization dedicated to helping young people succeed. She joins us from Washington. Thank you all for being with us. Great to have you. Thank you, Don. Thank you. Happy to be here. Jason, let me begin with you. Remind us all uh, what the For the Sake of All report was all about. It was really a report on the health and well-being of African Americans in St. Louis, but told through the lens of what we call the social determinants of health. The idea that health is about much more than health care. It's about where people live, learn, work, and play, as the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation uh, pithily describes it. Uh, but it's about that context that you described, uh, the quality of neighborhoods that people live in, the, the education level that people attain, the amount of uh, income that they have. We, all kn- we know that all of these factors impact ultimate health outcomes. And Health Equity Works picks it up where and how? Health Equity Works is our attempt to communicate that uh, – that's both a declarative sentence and a, uh, a kind of allusion to the, the old industrial factory so that uh, we're actually building the muscle to have an impact on health equity in the St. Louis region, but also to point to the fact that uh, when we address all of those factors and when we give people the opportunity to thrive, that that works for our region. Well, how do you build that muscle? Well, we've been working for several years with a number of partners, uh, and this school health space is one of the most uh, impactful uh, of the the kinds of work that we've done, uh, looking at how do you provide uh, basic health care services, for instance, within schools. So we're proud to see the proliferation of what are called school-based health centers throughout the St. Louis region. Uh, and, and today we're talking about some additional work looking at a, a comprehensive model of what school health looks like. It's, it, it takes more than just one institution, one organization, to have the kind of impact that we want to have on our children and on our community. Sharonda, tell us how the university school system is involved in this. So we um, really have embraced um, the concept of students being well, um, emotionally, physically, socially, spiritually, and understanding that we can't effectively educate them if their basic needs are not met. And so um, we have been very intentional about calling out um, three pillars of our educational platform in University City. And I'll really focus on our first one, which is humanize. And that really embraces the well-being of not just students, but also adults. 
Um, schools are a very complex ecosystem, and we have a lot of moving parts that we have to navigate. And as um, Dr. Parnell stated, we really can't do that work in a vacuum. So we have to reach out and partner with um, social service agencies, with healthcare facilities, um, with um, other educational providers to really create the safety net so that all students can ultimately be successful. One of the things that we are seeing more um, prevalent is trauma and students really having a um, those social-emotional needs that we have to meet in the K-12 space. So we're very fortunate to partner with the Live and Well STL through some generous supports from the America Promise Foundation to really look at trauma and to help our educators understand what trauma looks like, um, how it reveals itself in the context of the work that we do, but most importantly, to provide the tools and resources so that our teachers, our educators, our staff are able to best support students and their families. Um, we also are have a heavy emphasis on restorative practices, understanding that we need to create environments that do things with our students and our families and not to them. So being really collaborative and respectful of how our families and students and show up, but also understanding that it is a partnership between school and home, and we can't be just mental in this work. Um, we have to embrace our families exactly as they are and work collectively to provide the necessary resources. But I firmly believe that when children aren't well overall holistically, it's almost impossible to effectively um, see them thrive and reach their full potential. So those are just some of the examples of how we are working to embrace um, this work in the school district of University City. Have you been at this long enough to get any real sense of how well it's all working? I would say that we are seeing some impact around our discipline data. Um, we are seeing um, definitely a heightened level of service that's being provided to our students. Um, we are seeing uh, practices of mindfulness. Um, we have young people engaged in yoga, um, really um, also meditation so that they are able to um, de-escalate and regulate themselves. Um, we also have a focus on self-care. Our educators are on the front line every day. And sometimes the secondary traumas that they experience as a result of their students' experiences are real. And so we have to be sure that we are taking care of our educators equally so that they can be them, their best selves for, for our students. So we're seeing um, some evidence of our work. Um, we're seeing the buy-in with our staff. Um, we're beginning to see other metrics that um, help us to know that what we're doing is making a difference, but this isn't a silver bullet effort. Um, we're in a marathon. We're not in a sprint. And so we understand that we have to have the endurance and the stamina to stay with this work. Um, it's somewhat warm and fuzzy and not always a quantifiable um, number, but we understand that those qualitative measures are equally as important as those numbers in making sure that our students and our communities are truly well. Jason, is this pretty much where other schools that you're working with are at this point? I think all schools that, that we've talked to recognize this need for the connection between health and education, and, and that's what we've been doing a deep dive with the St. Louis Public Schools and the Normandy Schools Collaborative on a model that's called Whole School, Whole Community, Whole Child. And this is funded through the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, uh, an initiative called Together for Healthy and Successful Schools. 
the idea being that the whole child is at the center of this model, but there are a number of services and factors and components that we need to address in order to make sure that that whole child is healthy. And uh, as was mentioned in University City, the notion that employee wellness needs to be uh, a factor that you address, health services within schools, the social and emotional development of children, uh, counseling and psychological services. These are all aspects of the school environment that need to be in place. They need to be integrated. They need to be coordinated. Um, But what we've learned from our work with schools is that this can't be just another thing that we put on the plate of educators because their plates are already quite full. Uh, This has to be something that's all hands on deck, the entire community coming together to support children within schools because we know that a child who can't see, can't hear, can't breathe, has been traumatized, doesn't know where they're going to sleep, um, doesn't have the, the full opportunity to learn. Monica, it seems to me that uh, this is very much in line with what your organization is all about. Absolutely. America's Promise, you know, has been around for about 20 years, and a lot of our work over, the, over that time has been focused in the education space. And we lead big campaigns to build public will um, at the national and community levels. And so this our Every School Healthy campaign really builds on that track record. And our goal is is centered around the idea that what's happening in U-City schools and, and across the St. Louis region shouldn't just be happening there. It should really be happening in every school. And so Every School Healthy is very much focused on, in, at a vision level, uh, believes that every young person, <clears throat> excuse me, should come to school feeling safe, supported, and empowered. This notion that you've heard um, through through the discussion so far that every adult, regardless of their role, should put young people's physical, social, emotional, and academic development at the center of their work. And really this belief that schools cannot do it alone. And I think we know that not just from St. Louis, but from communities across the country, that business partners, nonprofit partners, other healthcare partners have to come in and and help provide those services to bridge the gap. When did people such as yourself and Jason... uh and Sharonica, you really catch on that this was the way to to deal with the the problems that we're talking about. So I think that uh, the volume on social emotional learning is increasing, and it's actually quite high at the national level. And this is coming from, I believe, years of standards based accountability in the education system, and. That's a right focus for a period of time, but I think what a lot of folks are starting to feel acutely is that we pump a lot of dollars into education, and yet there's this sense that we aren't quite getting the results we want, and there's still deep, pervasive uh, achievement gaps. And so one way that feels really organic and natural to a lot of people in the education system is we have to start focusing on those social determinants of health that were mentioned earlier. And so part of how we can do that is to really recognize that young people don't come to school as robots. They're not just students there to learn and pour information into. They have they come with social and emotional struggles that trauma piece is real in a lot in high poverty communities and we can't ignore it anymore but we also can't expect schools to solve it on their own um, and so I think that a lot of what we're seeing in places like U city schools is really a response to this notion that young people have a lot of needs they're also living in increasingly challenging circumstances and so how can we come together and create a system in which 
we're able to respond to young people where they are and not where we wish they were or where we think they should be. We only have a few seconds before I have to take a break, but uh, Jason and Sharonica, you're both nodding uh, very, uh, very pointedly during what uh, Monica had to say. Yeah. Absolutely. Children come to school with a host of issues and they leave school with a host of issues. And if we aren't addressing those, it doesn't matter what happens in that seven-hour space. Um, you can have the, the most sterling instruction in the world, but if a child can't hear it, uh, because of all the other noise that is happening in their life, uh, they're not going to have the same opportunity to learn. My father used to say, as the twig is bent, so grows the tree. And I guess that's uh, kind of what we're talking about here. Absolutely. Have to take a break. We'll do that now. Come back uh, after a few minutes and continue our conversation. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Back to our conversation with Jason Purnell, director of the Health Equity Works Project. Sharonica Hardin-Bartley is superintendent of the University City Schools District. And joining us by phone is Monica Kitchelow with America Promise Alliance. Again, thank you all for being with us and waiting through that, uh, that break. Uh, Jason, I've been reading about something that you're calling, I guess, a, a, a toolkit to work with this, uh, with this project. How exactly does that work? What's in the toolkit exactly? Well, we know, I mentioned earlier this framework called whole school, whole community, whole child. And what we know is that frameworks don't implement themselves. People implement frameworks. So we're, we're I told you we're doing that deep dive into school districts to understand who are the people, what are the systems, and what are the messages that are needed for implementation for this comprehensive framework to support school health. Um, so we did what's called social network analysis to identify who are the core influencers within schools and, and within those uh, districts. We also uh, worked with our partners at the Social Systems Design Lab to map out what does a school system that supports health look like with multiple stakeholders within that school district. And finally, with our partners at the Health Communication Research Lab, tested messages to draw this connection between health and education for multiple stakeholders within the school system so that we know what are the kinds of tools and techniques that are necessary for implementation for this kind of comprehensive model, particularly in schools that are already facing resource challenges uh, and the kind of student populations that have high needs. Uh, so rather than just coming with another framework or another reform uh, for educators, having some real tools that they can use to think about um, this link between education and health and how do they support health for students. And the hope is through uh, that this becomes a tool that can be used uh, by schools beyond St. Louis ultimately. Veronica, mm -hmm. can you give me any kind of an example of, uh, of some of the kids that you're working with and how things have changed for them as a result of the work you're doing? Yeah, I think that um, one of the pieces that I, I see most often really involves students being able to self-regulate. So students who may come to us uh, very angry um, because they 
um, may have some circumstances at home that are not ideal. They may be um, navigating, you know, either social, emotional, or health-related types of ailments. And so they come to school in a very unregulated manner. So behavioral challenges, um, oftentimes not actively engaged in learning. So teaching them um, how to self-regulate through meditation. We also have calming rooms in all of our elementary schools. Um, We have been very intentional about providing the resources. I agree that it is about people. So we have really worked to identify staff that are appropriate for the the work that we need to do. So those individuals um, work to support students on an individual basis, but also um, in a whole group basis. So you'll see students um, navigating or addressing conflict through restorative circles, where they're talking about how their actions may have impacted others and what harm has been caused and what they need to do to repair that. I think that... um, When we think about healthy schools, that cultural element of what happens in a school and how we exist together is is very important. So those are a few specific examples that I'm seeing with our students. And we had a recent visit um, by the Roberts Woods Foundation, and we actually had students sharing their process with um, educators and support providers from across the country. And they were speaking to how the restorative circle practice has really helped them to find a sense of belonging, to have a voice, to be able to advocate for themselves, to be able to say that I need help. Um, Because oftentimes we may or may not see those um, issues that are showing up with them on a day-to-day basis. So I think it's profound when students are able to use their voice, when they're able to be a part of that process, again, creating an environment and a culture where we're doing things with them and not to them in a very humanizing way. Do you have any particular success stories, though, about individual kids? Obviously, we wouldn't talk about names. But of course. Um, I, I'm thinking of a first grader right now yeah. um, who was just delightful, who came to us just very angry, had seen a lot of things um, at home um, that, honestly, most adults couldn't navigate, had wonderful mom, a wonderful mom who cares, but needed help. Um, So there were things that were not basic needs were not being met. And that particular student was showing up in a very aggressive manner. And so we um, provided additional supports. We um, provided counseling. Um, We took him to the doctor. He had um, some tooth issues. So we took him to the dentist. Um, We made sure that the home had those basic needs such as food, um, such as toiletry items, so that they can just be and exist. Uh, Many things that we often take for granted. And while he doesn't have perfect days every day, they are much better than they were. And he has a level of joy about coming to school. He wants to be there. He um, does not want to miss school. He has individuals that he checks in with, and they have intimate relationships with him that are meaningful. So it is all of the staff working together to support this young person in a very authentic in a genuine way, and meeting him exactly where he is. Monica Kinchelo, you have a, a national perspective on this. Mm-hmm. Um, how, does, how does what we're doing here in St. Louis, what's being done here in St. Louis, stack up with what's going on in other parts of the country? I think it's uh, ahead of the curve. I want to start by saying that. I think St- there's something special happening in the St. Louis region. I think 
that a lot has happened in the recent past and the region is awakened to these issues and is responding uh, not just in communities and in neighborhoods, but in the schools and doing that collaborative work across the needs of employment and education and healthcare. So I think there's something special happening in St. Louis. And I was um, excited and, and honored, frankly, to be able to listen to that restorative circle that um, the superintendent was just describing when we were there a few weeks ago. So there's something exciting happening there. What I hear across a lot of places in the country is that there is a desire to get to a place where a U-City Schools is, where there is at the highest level, at the superintendent level, a commitment to well-being of each young person and of the adults in the system. Um, this is hearts and minds work. It's not something you can mandate. It's not something that there is a whole set of effective policies already happening in this space. Um, another partner on our work through Together for Healthy and Successful Schools from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation is Child Trends, and they will be releasing uh, a whole set of uh, policy analyses at the state and local level that will, I think, sort of shed light on the notion that this isn't happening everywhere. And so what we really need is places like Alive and Well communities in St. Louis and what their work in the school system with the trauma-informed uh, training. We need work like that to happen so that it can bubble up and then inform state-level policies and maybe in a few years, national-level uh, policies and practices. But I, I can't emphasize enough that what's happening in St. Louis is actually um, the, the fact that it is system-wide and the collaborative structures are in place to make things happen it is unique and it is special. I think there are other places that aspire to that and have some pieces in place. Um, we are working with five other communities in Florida and New York and South Carolina and Oregon that are engaged in um, similar work as well and are, are sort of responding to the trauma needs and are also responding to food insecurity and transportation issues that young people face. Um, so schools are starting to step up and districts and states are, are currently actually quite in the throes of new accountability systems in the education space. But in addition to that, there is a lot of attention to overall well-being of young people. So, Jason, we enter the world of politics now. We start talking about policies both on the state and local level. What are some of the policies you'd like to see implemented? Well, I, I wanted to build on what Monica was saying about the analysis that Child Trends is doing. Uh, because they are one of our partners on this initiative, we asked for them to take a look at the state of Missouri, but also to look at the policies of Normandy Schools Collaborative and St. Louis Public Schools. So those recommendations around policy will be shared with those districts. But there are policies in each of the 10 domains of the WISC model that are essential uh, having a focus on social and emotional climate of the schools, making sure that uh, where it's possible there are health services available, making sure that we are uh, addressing em employee wellness uh, and family engagement and having, you know, part of, you asked a question about when did we come to this recognition? I think in the evolution of school health, there's been a lot of focus on uh, quality food and physical activity. We heard a lot about that throughout the Obama administration, and that was positive. I think what we're, what we're doing now is building on that sort of uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs uh, to, to, to look and pivot from food and physical activity to 
social and emotional health uh, to trauma to this notion that uh, our children need healthy emotional uh, lives as well. Yeah. Sharonica, you're on the front line. What, uh, what sort of policies and changes would you like to see? So we are actually um, in the process, our school board is um, putting together a resolution that really calls out our restorative practices focus. So making sure that um, it's at the board level, at the policy level of how we engage and work with our students. I, I feel that while we are making progress and we have a lot of bright spots, we have so much work to do. And a lot of our work um, sometimes is halted due to funding. So I think that, um, to Monica's point, it shouldn't be because we have an amazing partner such as Alive and Well, STL Communities, or America's Promise, or the Roberts Woods Foundation. These are systems and supports that every school needs. And so from a funding perspective, how do we make sure that there is a heightened focus on having social workers and therapists and counselors and school-based health centers in some way um, able our families and communities being able to access those resources. And it's not just dependent on external grant dollars or our ability to partner. Um, I think that this is a way of being for schools now. Um, and it's not poverty magnifies it. Um, we definitely see more evidence of trauma and overall needs related to health and basic needs from children in poverty. But we're also seeing um, trauma being revealed in students who are not in poverty. So I think that this is a, a way of being and we can't as a as a system, as an educational system, continue to put those social emotional things off to the side and just focus on academics. They have to be infused in our system. And I think from a policy perspective, our funding streams have to equitably support, and equity doesn't mean the same, um, it has to equitably support um, the needs that our students have so that all of our children throughout our region have access to these types of supports. Mm-hmm. Jason, again, we're close to a break, uh, just a few seconds. How does the national mood work into this? When we're talking about funding and talking about responsiveness, we're a divided nation right now, and there's not a lot of money out there being thrown around for for causes like this. I think that's true, but I think also what uh, has been characterized as the dysfunction at the national level has really highlighted the power at the local level. And there's nothing more local than the school. Uh, So the local control, the local school boards can begin to make some decisions about what we want to see schools look like and how we allocate resources uh, in ways that are directly in line with what we're talking about right now. And, Sharonica, that's exactly what you're saying is going on uh, in the university school district. We're working towards it, yes. (laughs) Okay, we're going to take another break, and uh, we'll come back and continue this conversation back in just a bit. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Back to our discussion on the Healthy Schools Initiative called Health Equity Works. With me in studio is Jason Purnell, director of the Health Equity Works Project. Sharonica Hardin Bartley is superintendent of the University City School District. And joining us by phone is Monica Kinchelow with America's Promise Alliance. I wanted to bring up the issue of trauma, which you've mentioned, uh, uh, Sharonica, a couple of times now. I assume that what we're talking about is 
what's now being called toxic stress trauma, the various things that people, the young people run into and violence in the, the neighborhood, that sort of thing. Is that what we're talking about? That's a part of it. Yeah. Um, there was a study that has been um, more acknowledged in the educational space, the ACES study, Adverse Childhood Experiences. And so it really deals with any type of traumatic experience that can happen to a child, either in the home, either in the community, um, e- either in the, the school. So it's, it's a pretty broad um, spectrum, and it really acknowledges that we all respond to experiences differently. And so what may be a traumatic experience for one child may or may not have the same impact on another one. But really understanding that those experiences shape who we are, they shape how we show up, um, how we respond to conflict, how we respond to um, various situations. And so just the awareness of that study and the impact of it helps educators be better positioned to provide supports um, to students in a constructive way. Are teachers really qualified to deal with that these days? That's I would say that with the proper supports, um, with the proper training, um, they are gaining the tools and the resources. A big part of this work is relationships. I do not expect for them to be therapists because they're not qualified to be a therapist, exactly. which is why we need external resources and supports. But they are often the person that's on the front line interfacing with that child that can identify that there is a need for a therapist. They may not know what the diagnosis is, but they understand that something needs to happen. And so the relationship piece, teachers are a child's advocate when it comes to that. There's mm-hmm. a plenty of research that talks about the importance of child of children having meaningful relationships with adults. Um, and so we value that. But we have to give our educators the proper tools, resources, and training to be able to navigate some of the things that we're seeing in the context of, of K-12 education. We have a listener, Kim, calling from St. Louis who wants to talk about the trauma aspect. Let's bring her in. Kim, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Yes. Um, I just finished my doctoral degree, and I uh, did it on uh, trauma-informed care and practice. Um, And I'm looking at how the, um, like you were just talking about, the relationship between the teacher and the um, student. And I think there's there's more than just a relationship. It's more about, it's not more about, but it also includes how do you arrange that room? Um, How do you, how do teachers respond in terms of, like, if if a child is acting out? Can you um, respond in such a way that you don't get angry? So I, I, I do agree that there needs to be a lot more training um, for teachers. And it also has to be related to how do you get kids to perform academically who aren't, who aren't ready because they're so sidetracked by this trauma. Okay. Would you like to take that again, Sharonica? That sounds like it's sure. Right I, I would agree. Um, I think that the, the spacing and just the environment that children are in is important. So we have what's called flexible seating in our classrooms. So you'll see bean bags, bouncy chairs, yoga balls, um, because children need to be able to have a diverse way to, again, self-regulate. Um, I think those calming rooms are another example of um, environments where we can allow them to be in more of a one-on-one setting with a trained professional, 
But back to the academics, I, I firmly believe that we, we have to better address these social emotional needs, these health related needs um, in order for students to maximize their potential academically. And I think that we have attempted to focus on academics, double dosing students in the area of math and reading without even remotely addressing their social emotional needs. And I believe that those two pieces go hand in hand. Again, if I am well, um, I am more apt to engage in math and science and reading. And so um, I have to be, be whole. I have to be a healthy person overall um, in order for me to be able to focus and, and be engaged in a meaningful way. So I don't think that um, those things happen um, in isolation. I think they happen in tandem. And there has to be a dual approach simultaneously addressing academics, but also valuing and respecting the importance of the social, emotional needs and health needs as well. Uh, Monica, if I can turn to you, would you like to address or comment on on either the aspect of trauma or teacher training? Sure. I think um, this is a really important question because there is a thread in the dialogue that I hear at the national level that trauma-informed practices or social-emotional learning is another term that gets thrown around a lot, that these two things should just be part of what a teacher does, that it should just be embedded in their practice. And so it's not something new or different. And I think I, I always, when I hear that, caution against it a little bit because, or a lot, because teachers have a lot on their plates and they actually have a lot of demands on them from an accountability and education perspective. So I think what um, the superintendent is speaking to is this notion that teachers are at the front line and they have those re- those uh, responsibilities. But part of what training has to do is to create mindsets so that those behavioral interactions between young people and adults inside the school take trauma into account. And and like the superintendent said, it's not that teachers have to solve it all the way to the end, but they have to know what they're seeing and know how to respond in a way that isn't so negative that that young person disengages. And I think the discipline space is a really uh, easy place to understand this. I think we can't forget that we still are in a school world in which bad behavior results in being sent to the principal's office and often being, say, kicked out of school for a day or two. And I think what we're seeing more and more is if teachers have this trauma training, they may encounter that type of behavior. And then there is a world now in which there is an alternative approach where they go to a reflection room or there's a designated person who can counsel that person through or where the child, and this may be the best option, is empowered to self-regulate and de-escalate him or herself to be able to rejoin the classroom. The notion that there are alternatives as child out of the classroom, that's actually not caught on like wildfire like we might like to see. And so I think the training has to be about mindsets for teachers and within their scope and sphere of influence within the school. Do you want to weigh in on that part of it, uh, Jason? I have another question for you as well. But I I do. I I think even though I I take uh, the caller's point, we cannot underestimate the power of relationship mm-hmm. and the power of that relationship between a caring, consistent adult and a child is one of the most uh, protective factors that we know uh, we have in terms of the resilience of children who are facing traumatic experiences. 
But it's also, uh, to Monica's point, about asking different questions. And I've heard folks who work in this space talk about asking the question, mm -hmm. what happened to you, rather than what's wrong with you. Mm -hmm. uh, so that we're not saying that children are bad or labeling them as uh, behavior problems, but we're actually asking what happened to you that caused that kind of behavioral expression. Yeah. What I wanted to get to concerned the relationship, which is maybe the most important one, and that is the role of the parent. And it seems to me that some of the families we're talking about and some of the conditions under which these kids come to school, uh, that's not an easy relationship either. Single-parent families and broken families. What, uh, what, how do you deal with that in your template for this overall project? Well, parent engagement was a crucial part of yeah. the work that we did with both of the school districts that we talked about. The, the thing to appreciate, though, is all of the factors that uh, impact parent engagement. So parents are also part of this system. And if every interaction that that parent has is a teacher calling up to tell you what your child did wrong mm. – uh, you're less likely to want to engage in that system. So part of the feedback we heard was, I'd like to hear when my child did something right. I'd like to hear and be able to reinforce when my child had a good day, and that's going to increase the likelihood that I, that I want to engage. But to your point about the struggles that parents are facing, one of the most uh, successful messages that we tested was having empathy for parents. Sometimes we see... Uh, a kind of power struggle between uh, schools and parents where uh, blame gets placed on one or the other as not being adequate enough. Uh, but what we really need is an understanding of the challenges that parents face and the challenges that educators face and how can we understand uh, this as a team all focused on what's best for that child. But we have to be much more uh, sophisticated uh, in making sure that that relationship between the parent and the school is a healthy one as well. Right. Only two minutes left. Veronica, how are you handling the parents? Parents are our partners, and we embrace them, um, we respect them, and we support them. And I think that we understand that they show up and give us the best that they have, their children, and they trust us. So we really have to consistently value them um, without judgment. And so Parental engagement is a constant struggle for us in our district, but we are consistently working to find ways to truly be partners with our parents. Right. Again, the time just is getting away, but I'll come back to you, Jason, on this in terms of we talked about it off the air very quickly, the coordination between districts. Are all districts on their own or is, it, is there some effort to work together? There is some uh, effort to work together. Uh, I have some special insight into this because my wife was recently elected to the Pattonville School uh, School Board uh, and there was a recent gathering of, of several districts who want to work together on, on these and other issues. What we need though in this, in this city uh, and in this region is that coordination infrastructure and we, we don't do that well uh, but we have models for, for what that can look like so that we can share resources across school districts and not have every district trying to build this from whole cloth. Thirty seconds left, Sharonica. Very quickly, you've had some experience with this recently. Yes, it was a great uh, meeting and lots of uh, building of community and like-minded folks coming together to work to do what's best for our children. In fifteen seconds, uh, Monica, this is a necessary component, I would think. 
Yeah, it's actually the root of what we're trying to do at the national level um, as well, because that local coordination is important, but we need to be aligned to act at the national level as well. So creating that space for convening, getting the right people in the room on a consistent basis, and sharing the good messaging around what has to happen for young people and adults is is all critical to make this happen. But I have to leave not it, just right. in St. Louis, but everywhere. Yeah, we'll leave it there. I thank you all, Jason Purnell, Director of Health Equity Work, Veronica Harden Bartley of University City School District, and Monica Kinchlow uh, of America's Promise Alliance. Thank you all so much for being with us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, ninety point seven KWMU.